Happy Easter. The Lord is risen. Amen. My name is Chris. I'm one of the elders and also one of the pastors here at our church. And if you're visiting with us today, we're very blessed that you're here. Um, we are excited for what this day means. <clears throat> Despite what you see all around in our world today, the fact that he is risen changes everything. Now, if you <clears throat> were to look at the raw data, you could make a pretty strong case that humanity is healthier, safer, more informed, and more prosperous than ever before. For example, uh, the life expectancy around the globe has risen to an all-time high of 72 years of age. And in the last four decades, we have been more prosperous and had more wealth created than all the years of history before. And in 200 years ago, about 1800, <clears throat> nearly half of all children died before the age of five. And eight out of 10 lived in severe extreme poverty and 88% were illiterate. But today, that five and under mortality is less than 4%. Only one out of 10 lives in extreme poverty and only 10% are illiterate. And of course, when it comes to information, we all have these things, 6.8 billion of them around the globe. And every user has more information at his fingertips than the president did in 1990. Imagine that. Statistics can make us look really good. And our leaders and influencers and marketing gurus tell us that things are going to get better, that we can do anything if we just put our mind to it and work together. They tell us to put our hope in science. It'll fix the global warming. They say to put our hope in psychology. That'll fix all mental illness. They say, put your hope in government to which we all laughed, <clears throat> because we'll legislate solutions. And they even say, put your hope in yourself to find who you identify as. And if none of that really works for you, don't worry, because artificial intelligence will help us all out. But honestly, none of these things are proven themselves reliable to root out evil, to stop school shootings to end the exploitation and trafficking of children, to solve humanitarian and refugee crises around the world, to end wars and oppression of autocratic leaders around the globe. As improved as things are for us today, our world is broken. And if you honestly answer, you'll have to agree. And the truth is, probably the most broken place is the human heart. The human heart, which is pummeled by fear and anxiety, which is torn apart by insecurity and depression, which is driven by ambition and greed and controlled by desire and lust. Our problem and our problems 
are deeply rooted in the human heart. The Bible puts it this way, all have sinned and fallen away. All we like sheep have sinned and fallen away. Each of us have turned to our own way. The heart, the Bible says, is deceitful above all things and who can find a cure? And apart from divine intervention, we're broken. So, happy Easter. <laughs> what a way to start the message, huh? You're like, wow, is he always so cheerful and upbeat? Well, actually, I am very happy today. This is a day for rejoicing. This is a day that we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Now, a lot of talks on Easter Sunday, uh, I, I make it a point to give a lengthy argument about the fact, and I believe facts, that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. And I'm always inclined to remind us of these things. I think it's important. It's like Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, and here's what he received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to the, all the apostles. And last of all, as one untimely born, he appeared also to me. Our belief that Jesus rose from the dead is not only by faith, it rests on some really strong evidence. Especially that Jesus appeared to 500 people after he had risen. Now, that's a compelling argument for the resurrection. Ask any attorney around, and they will tell you that one eyewitness is solid proof. They will tell you that two eyewitnesses is tremendous proof. But 500? 500, it makes it almost definite. And, and remember that many of these witnesses, as Paul was writing this letter, were still alive, and he was telling his readers, just check up on me. Go ask them yourself. See what they have to say. And let's also remember that these witnesses, many of them were beaten and tortured and imprisoned and stoned to death. Listen, if that story of the resurrection was not true, why would they keep lying even to the point of death? 500 witnesses. As his disciples, today we continue to witness. Though we have not seen him with our eyes, we still believe. We believe on the basis of what they have witnessed to and on the basis that Jesus has done a new work in our hearts. I love the old song, you ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. He changed my life. He took a mess and a prodigal experience and he pulled me out of the pit and set my feet up on solid ground. 
He lives inside of me and he has given me hope in the midst of despair. And he has given me joy when I was sad. And he has taken my brokenness and my captivity and set me free. That's how I know he lives. We believe and we know that as we declare that he is risen, that it is the way of life for us, that it is how we get our purpose, that everything we do is now explained by his sacrificial death on a cross and by his busting out of a borrowed tomb. But as much as we're called to proclaim that he is risen, we are also called to help process the pain of life on this side of resurrection. So when hearts are exhausted, yours or others, and when grief and suffering seem to be unbearable, yours or others, his resurrection and the promise of our own becomes a lifeline to us. It it begins to buoy us in the midst of turmoil where God brings beauty out of ashes and he reminds us that in our suffering, though it may leave scars, it's not the final word. You know, I love Philip Yancey. If you've read any of his stuff, it's tremendous. He's a great apologist. His own story of faith is tremendous. He wrote this, why did Jesus keep the scars from his crucifixion? From the perspective of heaven, they represent the most horrible event that has ever happened in the history of the universe. Even that event, though, Easter, has turned into a memory. Easter, his resurrection, turned the crucifixion just three days before into a distant memory. But he still kept the scars. And that's profound. That though he was not going to look back as his resurrection had, had come and he, has, he is now alive and blood is flowing through his veins, he still has the scars to show what has happened. And in the same way, we have scars. And our scars may also remain, but they don't define us. His redemption defines us. For even our darkest moments are not beyond God's power to redeem. You know, all of us sitting here today have faced hard things, loss, suffering, grief. Some of us have experienced loss that is senseless and tragic, like those dear families in Nashville at the Covenant School, or those dear families of that school in Uvalde, Texas, or those Syrian refugees in Lebanon where Jamie and Kathy and Anna are even today on the border with Syria, looking at these refugee camps who have been expelled from their, their country because of a dictator who demands to remain in power and to exterminate his own people to, to remain powerful. It's evil. That kind of loss and tragedy is, is almost unbearable. Or what about those Christians in Pakistan seven years ago who on Easter day were at a park celebrating with families and neighbors when a suicide bomber walked in the middle of them 
from the Taliban and killed 72 and injured more than 350 more. What kind of loss is that? It's tragic. It's almost unbearable. But the promise of his resurrection tells us that even in these dark moments, the darkest of dark, things we might can relate to or things that we've only heard about, none of that is beyond God's power to redeem. He is able to take the darkest of night and make it the brightest of day. The resurrection reminds us we have a Savior who understands our pain and our loss and our weakness. He empathizes with where we are. He has suffered. And he is also with us in the midst of our own grief. And just as the cross wasn't the end of the story for Jesus, so our suffering and our heartbreak is not the end of our story either. There's more beyond that chapter. The disciples thought it was over. They sat there just a day after he had been crucified on a bleak, dark Sabbath day of Saturday, wondering what has just happened. They, they didn't realize that the next day would change everything. They had no hope. It was too bleak. We know it. We've read the story. They were living the story. And in their day, it was hopeless. When Jesus came on Sunday, he was about to shock them out of their stupor. He was about to blast them out of their despair. The future was bleak. Hopes were dashed. Their master was dead. And it just seemed like it was over to them. Author Rebecca Bell writes this, death was to them what it is to us, the unconquerable enemy. And throughout all of human history, death had marked the end. Death was the one thing that could not be bargained with, even by the world's most powerful and wealthy leaders. Death was a final reckoning. No one was immune to its power and no one was strong enough to overcome its grip until Jesus showed up. He blew that apart. He did the one thing that no one else could do. He rose from the dead. He rose from the dead. And his resurrection proved once and for all that the end of the story is never the end of the story when Jesus is around. The end of your story is not the end if Jesus is there. Whatever you think is coming to an end, there is always resurrection power in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so... Even when we face heartbreaking grief and devastating loss, the resurrection reminds us that we can still have hope, hope for what there is to come, hope in Jesus our Lord. What Peter, the apostle, called living hope. He writes about it in 1 Peter 1. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to the living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, 
and unfading, kept in heaven for you. This living hope, it's, it's not wishful thinking. It's not hoping something might happen. It's something fully assured that will happen. There's a big difference in the hope he provides for us and my hope that there might be more dessert for me after today's lunch. There's a hope that is fully assured that is found in him and it is living and sustaining and powerful in your life. You can take it to the bank, as my dad used to say. Not that any of us go to the bank anymore these days. It's all done electronically. You can take it to the electronic deposit slip. I don't know. You can count on it. It's a kind of hope that has full assurance. It has rock solid certainty that it's going to come to pass. And you can base your life on it. It's an assurance. The thing is, this kind of hope will demand that you change. It will require that you don't stay in your despair. That you don't remain in the mire of loss. Theologian Esau Macaulay at Wheaton Seminary, a great, great theologian, writes of his own tendency towards melancholy. He, he says of all the Easter holidays, he feels more comfortable with the seriousness of Monday Thursday than the hope of Easter Sunday. He has a melancholy temperament, don't get me excited. Just let me be serious over here. But he wrote an op-ed in the New York Times yesterday and I thought it was so profound with respect to this issue of hope. He says, I have never been a big fan of hope. It's a demanding emotion that insists on changing you. Hope pulls you out of yourself and into the world, forcing you to believe more is possible. Hate is much less insistent master. It asks you only to loathe. It is quite happy to have you to itself and doesn't ask you to go anywhere. This makes me realize that many times the choice to be filled with hope is ours. Joshua told the people of, of Israel, today I set before you life and death. Choose life. And I feel like that's what God is saying to you today. No matter what the despair and what the loss and what the suffering, today I set before you hope and death. Choose hope. If we choose it, we'll find out that we'll have to, we'll have to allow it to pull ourselves out of ourselves and into the world. And we will have to let it force us to believe that more is possible. That's the kind of hope that sustains. That's the living hope we need. Jesus himself is the hope. He is the hope. And whether we're in the midst of joy or a season of loss, his resurrection reminds us that God is present through it all. He never leaves nor forsakes us. And in the middle of our most glorious days, and also in the middle of tragedy, suffering, and loss, 
we know that God is for us. Through it all, we can know for sure that Jesus will make all things new and that he will always be with us, even to the end of the age. And so we gather here today in the midst of a world that's truly broken, in the midst of despair and hopelessness and plight all around us from the loss of life due to gunfire to the loss of life due to earthquakes or fires or famine or plague or abortion. All loss of life causes us to grieve. But today we are here to say Jesus is alive and his alive, his being alive changes it all. We gather to celebrate the risen savior, Jesus, the son of God, who came from the father, who was, who was conceived of the Holy Spirit and born of a virgin, who lived a sinless life and demonstrated an eternal love and preached a new kingdom and turned humanity right side up, working on us from the inside out. And this same one died on a cross and giving his life as a ransom to pay our penalty of sin, he then arose on the third day. And very much he is alive, seated even now at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for every one of us. Soon, as we've already heard what Patrick was saying, he will come again. Come, Lord Jesus. He will come to make things finally right to set them all into order, to put into place a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem where he will be the center of everything. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. May we as his people today celebrate this glorious resurrection in our life. May the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead Quicken even us, our mortal bodies, and even the way we think, and certainly the way we live. And may we every day pronounce the glorious power of his resurrection to a world that needs saving. May we do it with fear and trembling before the Lord, but anticipation that he is doing great things among us. Amen. Donna, my wife, is going to come. This is our tradition as a church. And she shares just a few moments what the Lord has put on her heart. And then we'll spend some time praying for us as a congregation. I want to read just a little bit from A.W. Tozer. When Chris was speaking today, and he was saying that he often in our historical church gatherings has spent Easter Sunday on apologetics, giving us the facts so that we can turn our hearts in that direction. But A.W. Tozer says that if you want to know God with your mind, he will remain far from you. Mm -hmm. But you have to want to know him with your heart, and then he draws near. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciate you talking to our hearts today and not just our heads. Because hope is a heart thing. It's not a brain thing. <laughs> so A.W. Tozer says... So strong and so beautiful is hope 
that it is not possible to overpraise it. You can't say enough superlatives about it. <laughs> it is the divine alchemy that transmutes the base metal of adversity into gold. It is the confidence in the character of God and the anticipation of everything he promises. And this was the part that really struck me. Um, small science lesson. Airplanes coming to land at an airport used to have to come on a stair step. They would travel and then change their rate and then travel and change. And so it was like stairs. And then amazing computer capabilities came along. And now a beam attaches to the plane that you can't see. And it guides it literally on a straight line of descent. So they don't have to take those stair steps. It changes how much gas they use. It changes how safely we land. And A.W. Tozer, years before that happened, <laughs> said, hope is an electronic beam on which the Christian flies through wind and storm straight to his desired haven. Wow. What a prophet. <laughs> yes, I love it. It thrills me on all the places. Um, so what I want to say to you is hope isn't thinking that it makes sense. Hope is a person that we can know with our hearts. And when we choose to know him, it is like that electronic beam that will lead us safely through whatever the world is showing out there, all the lovely, kind things you said today <laughs> about the world. <laughs> and it will bring us safely to our home, which is him. Yes. And that's my prayer for us today, that wherever you are, you find the beam of hope, the strong encouragement that he offers, and you do not let go. You know, we're going to pray here, and maybe you're here today, and you do not know that hope. Um, we don't want to embarrass you, but as we conclude our time today, I hope that you'll come up and let someone pray with you, that you can meet the living hope. Yes. The one who speaks to the heart and not just to the head, the one that changes everything. And if you're here and you are feeling like you're flagging in your hope and you're, you're not as strong as you hope to be, the Lord is also here to strengthen you and to buoy you into a place of strength in the power of the Holy Spirit. So we're gonna pray for both those that need him fully to accept him as their Lord and those of us that need him to come and, ref and, and refresh our hope. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that there is a hope that lives. There is a hope that lives against all other hoping and that it is your son freely given for us. Not just that we could have hope in the world to come, but like Patrick said, that we could have hope for today, for the things that we face today. And not just the things that we face externally, fears, anxieties, pressures, relationship challenges, but the things we face inside of ourselves, the things that disappoint us about ourselves, the places where we know 
we don't measure up. The places where we know what we're doing isn't helping and we can't seem to stop. That's right. Father, your living hope can right all of these things by making us right with you then you can touch all of those circumstances and relationships, including our very own hearts. Yes, Lord. You can make us flesh, not stones that can't be moved, but flesh that can grow and, and be awakened to you. Hmm. Father, I ask that you would minister to each heart through your Holy Spirit, that if it's conviction, that you would bring it. If it's forgiveness, you would offer it. If it was hope in the midst of something that feels hopeless, that you would plant that seed in their hearts and cause it to bear fruit. Yes, Lord. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy yes. and for the amazing gift that is Jesus. Mm. Thank you, Lord. Help us receive what you have for us. Help us put down what's in our hands, maybe even what's in our thoughts, and receive you, our living hope. We thank you, Lord, that your spirit has been here with us, moving among us. I pray that your spirit would keep working on us, Lord. Let us stay open to you. Your word says that you stand at the door and you knock. I pray for everyone here today that's got a closed door. Maybe even it's locked. I ask that something would move them, move us to unlock the door, to open it to you. That you might come in and bring your forgiveness and peace, your restoration of life, the purpose that you have for us, that we could be made into a new creation. I pray for anyone here that is wrestling with your reality and whether they're willing to follow you. I ask that your spirit would bring their heart gently to a place of seeing that you are the way, the truth, and the life. That you mean them good. That you have forgiveness and you have mercy and you have grace and you have purpose for them. And you've called them out of darkness and want to bring them into marvelous light where life is abundant and overflowing and even filling them with the spirit of God that rivers of living water would rush and gush out of their innermost being. And Lord, I pray for every one of us here today that have gathered to celebrate your resurrection in the midst of our joy and maybe in the midst of our pain. 
May the power of God that is at work already in us, may it quicken and strengthen us today. May we be filled with all the fullness of God that hope would be restored and that dreams would be reignited and that purpose would be clarified. Lord, strengthen your people for the day, for all that they face in relationships that are hard and difficulties they face in challenges that are before us. May the hope that sustains us, the hope that calls us out and pushes us forward, that requires us to believe the impossible again, may that hope be distributed to your people today. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.